Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. Jeremiah says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I intended for it to do. Now therefore say the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the word of the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it is no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, inquire among the nations. Who has ever heard anything like this? A most horrible thing has been done by virgin Israel. Does the snow of Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? Does its cool waters from distant sources ever stop flowing? Yet my people have forgotten me. They become incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways. In the ancient paths, they made them walk in byways on roads not built up. Their land will be an object of horror and of lasting scorn. All who pass by will be appalled and will shake their heads. This, friends, is the word of God for us, the people of God. It always feels strange hearing thanks be to God after you read one that's like, I will destroy you. <laughs> it feels weird to be like, woo. Have you ever watched someone make a piece of pottery? That is the picture that you see up on your screens today is someone doing what we call throwing pottery. Or better yet, have you ever thrown pottery yourself? Has anybody here ever made pottery? Yeah, there's a couple of you. Were you good at it? Me neither. <laughs> when I was in college, um, I was a religious studies major and a minor in peace and conflict studies and Jewish studies, which is the most liberal arts degree of all liberal arts degrees. Um, but when I was in college and doing that, with all of the classes I was taking for my major, I was easily reading 500 to 1,000 pages worth of reading a week um, for every single class. It was not abnormal that you would have like 500 pages of reading between classes. And you had to do it because for most of those classes, you had to write a summary, like a one-page thesis statement before the next class. 
and you would get graded based on how accurate that thesis statement and that summary was. And it was hard. It was harder than my divinity school degree. One year we were getting graded out of 10 for the class and it took me the entire semester to ever get to a 9 out of 10 on my thesis statement. <laughs> These classes were intense and they were heavy reading and while I loved that, I needed a break. And so what I would do was take a fun and creatively based class every semester. I would take a literature class so that I could read something that wasn't theology. I would take a like creative arts class. I took a baseball statistics class once and I lasted two days. <laughs> Math is not my thing. I took classes on the history of rock and roll. That is a thing. It was a 300 level class. Welcome to liberal arts. <laughs> Elon's trying to make global citizens and therefore you can take a class on Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I took classes on the evolution of major rock brands, on creative writing, on poetry, and one semester when I was feeling really adventurous, I decided to try ceramics. I'm someone who really likes crafty things. I think you've all probably figured that out about me by this point. And most of the time, I'm generally naturally good at it. In fact, I'm one of those personalities that really hates when I'm not naturally good at something. It deeply annoys me. <laughs> I'm not always the best at artsy things, but usually I come in about average, and I enjoy them. So I signed up for ceramics, and I thought it would be an easy A, and I thought it would be something I could simply excel in, and it would be a nice break. And it ended up being the exact opposite. I was very wrong, because the art of making pottery is intricate and messy and delicate. When you sit down at a pottery wheel, it looks much like this image before us. The first thing you do is mount the clay to the center of your wheel so it doesn't go flying across the room. When you press the pedal and make it spin, and this is an amateur's mistake that does happen. If you haven't gotten your clay like on the wheel really well, it will fly. I have seen it. <laughs> if your clay is not well mounted, it's going to be messed up from that point on if it's not centered. The next thing you do is you start it gently spinning and you go from this lump of clay at just the right speed to some beautiful piece. But it doesn't just happen. As you start spinning, you need to get it just the right tempo. You have to center it. When you've got the clay at just the right speed and centered, you have to add water to it and then you make, start making pools to mold and shape your clay. You don't want too much water because your clay will lose all of its form and you don't want your clay to be too dry because then you can't pull it in the direction you want it to. You need just the right amount of everything. As you start working your clay, you have it just like this person has it. One hand on one side and one hand on the top dispersing pressure perfectly so that things have an even wall, right? You don't want lumpy walls on your pottery. After making your perfectly round lump of clay into some sort of shape, maybe you have a pot, maybe you have a really nice plate, but it requires so much precision and so much intentionality because everything you do to the clay has a chance of ruining the entire piece. So many times I got like three-fourths of the way done through a piece and then I found myself applying too much pressure to the wall of the mug I was making and the entire thing collapsed. 
And frustrated, I folded it up and threw it in the, in the recycle bin and started all over. More than that, I got really good at one thing and that was making mugs and flower pots because they're just cylinders. <laughs> but then you go into making a bowl or making a plate and as soon as I got past the cylinder part, it was over. <laughs> I made one good bowl in three semesters <laughs> of taking ceramics. Pulls and movements, everything you do affects the clay. You can't rush it, you can't push it too hard, you can't make it be something that it's not. You can't move it too fast, it's delicate. And as my professor always told us, the clay already knows what it's going to be and it's your job to find it out. You can't tell the clay what it's going to be, the clay is going to tell you. When you finish a piece, it might have air bubbles in it or something along that line, and you have to pop the air bubbles so that the piece does not dry with air trapped in it in the kiln, and then the air overheats, and then your piece explodes and everyone else hates you because your piece explodes and hits their pieces. The piece has to be dipped in glaze, it has to be trimmed, it has to be fired, and then it comes out and maybe it looks halfway good or maybe it looks nothing like you thought it would because you thought that glaze was purple and it's white and it looks weird. I thought making pottery would be easy and fun to do. I thought it would be a nice break from my religious studies classes and instead I often found myself in the ceramic studio at like 9, 10, 11 p.m. at night alone trying to figure out how to make a decent piece of pottery so I could pass this class. <laughs> I wanted to be the envy of everyone else and instead I struggled to find a good rhythm to make clay move as I wanted to, to not rush the process or skip steps. I struggled to be delicate and patient. I became easily frustrated when a piece in my hand wouldn't do what I wanted it to do. I struggled watching people around me do it so easily. There was this girl in my ceramics class who was like a communications major and it was her last semester of college and she just decided to take ceramics for fun and she was naturally incredible at it. She would throw these massive platters, she would throw the thinnest plates I have ever seen in my life. It was like incredible art. It was like watching a dance, watching her make pottery. And she did it so easily. In fact, she graduated with her degree and she doesn't use it at all. She just runs a pottery business now. I'm someone who wanted to be like that, to be the best at everything. And I was baffled when other people were so good at this and I was not. <laughs> I was baffled when someone could throw what I thought was a beautiful piece and they would find themselves dissatisfied with it and they'd just fold it up and throw it in the trash and I just wanted to be like, can I actually have that? <laughs> as frustrating as I found throwing pottery to be, I really loved it and that was because this scripture lived in my mind. The scriptures about God being the potter lived in my mind every single time I sat at the wheel off in the middle of the night to try to make something halfway good. I kept taking ceramics classes for the less of the time that I was in college because as frustrating as it was, I also found it to be really beautiful to participate in. And in a weird way, I enjoyed the uphill battle of failure 
<laughs> I wanted to be good at it and I was determined to get there. This passage tells us a lot about who God is. The Bible tells us about who God is and it gives us a lot of different metaphors and images. And these are things that I love because they help us to better understand God. We get descriptions of God as a shepherd, a redeemer, a father, a mother, the bread of life. One of my favorites is um, God as the hen of heaven. Today's scripture tells us God is like a potter working clay. And it's helpful to know the process to see someone actually work clay, to realize what the scripture is telling us about God. At first, the idea that God is like a potter seems a little odd or ridiculous, especially if you're a potter like I am, where you're sitting here just like punching the clay and making really bad pieces and yelling at it and like cussing under your breath because this bowl is just really lumpy and not doing what it should be doing. Clay makers as a whole are not really extravagant or elite. Clay making, pottery throwing is messy. You're gonna end up covered in clay. You never leave clean. You end up with clay in places you didn't know you could get it the entire time that you're throwing clay. Your fingernails are just grimy. You go home and you have clay in your hair. You have clay in your pants somehow. Like there, it's just everywhere. It's hard work, it's long hours, it's minimal payoff. You have to get really, really good to actually make any money off of selling your pottery. And it's an art. It is a time-consuming process and at the end of it, beautiful things are made. The idea of God as a clay maker reminds us who God is and that is somebody who is a creator, who is creative and patient who doesn't mind the messiness of the things God is working on, who doesn't mind if the remnants of trying to shape us gets left in God's fingernails or hair or pants. In a strange way, Claymaker feels like a bad thing for God to be. And then when we think about it, we realize God has been creating and imagining and getting messy and dirty long, long before we ever thought about it. The book of Genesis often portrays God as a poet, a designer, a landscaper, a painter, an artisan, who out of nothing creates a beautiful and rich world. And then after creating this world of greenery and oceans and mountains and valleys, God picks up clay and shapes it for the first time. Picking up the dirt of the earth, God kneads it and sculpts it and breathes God's own life into it. And then there is people. God picks up dirt and clay and makes us. The idea of God as a clay maker is one of the first ones we see in the Bible if we're reading it in order. And it blows my mind. It's one of my favorite ways to imagine God because I know how delicate and frustrating it is to make clay, to work it, to turn it into pottery. I know how much patience and intentionality is required for it, and it's amazing to think God is like that with us, that God picks up these pieces of dirt, these sad, frustrating lumps, and with patience gently forms them. 
giving them what they need, never drowning them in water or drying them out, letting them take as much time as they need to take, maybe being willing to put the piece down when it folds into itself and then pick it back up to give it new life. To know God so delicately places hands on us and needs us, imagining how to form the clay and shape our bodies and shape our lives, that with clay in hand, God imagines the tiny details we should have, the glaze God will use, the beauty that will happen. Clay that has not been fired, clay that hasn't entered the kiln, is fragile. It's breakable, it's plastic. Even if it's dried, it can be made met again, wet again, and collapse. It can indefinitely be reshaped. But once clay is fired, it's no longer moldable, moldable or reflexible. Though God shaped humankind and breathed life into its nostrils, God did not fire the clay from which we have been made. Not one of us is like a fixed bowl or pitcher or lamp. I don't know how you make clay lamps. I don't know what I was thinking when I, <laughs> maybe you can. Sure, right? Yeah, that's a thing, cool. I didn't make it that far. <laughs> God doesn't fire us. We don't become permanently fixed objects. Rather, we remain moldable. God's able to shape us and reshape us again, to labor tirelessly at the will on our behalf, assessing our character, observing our strengths and our weaknesses, building us up when flaws are founding in us, working diligently to remedy them. Maybe not removing them, but making it so that they don't make the whole thing collapse. Sometimes the best part of a piece of pottery is the flaw that lies in it. The weird lump, the air bubble that didn't explode, the crack, the unevenness. They make a piece interesting and different. Like a clay maker, God sometimes puts pressure on us to center our being, to grow us up, God makes steady pools on our hearts so that we too can become a beautiful piece. To be one step closer to being what God envisions us to be. I think unlike people with clay, God, when it comes to forming people, has the ability to imagine what the clay will be. My professor's saying that the clay already knows what it's gonna be and you have to find it out is almost the opposite. We're the clay who has no idea what we're going to be, and God knows, and we have the joy of finding out what shape we're going to take. When a piece of pottery is made by a person, it is made with so much love. My friend who is a potter from school, I follow her still, and sometimes I buy her pieces when I can afford them, because um, now they're really expensive. <laughs> And the pieces she makes, oftentimes, she makes actually as political statements. Um, during a couple years ago, when people were wearing the pink hats, during social justice movements, as women were fighting for the right to have rights, she started making clay pieces that were mugs, and on the mugs were breasts and she was making them and selling them and donating all of the proceeds to, of selling these mugs to groups that were doing advocacy and fighting for women's rights. 
She's become someone who doesn't just make pottery to live, it's her social justice work. Clay art can be something like that. It can move people. It can become more than just a piece. It can become a force in the world. And so can we. Every piece of pottery is unique. It's different. It's made in its own time. It's formed by God. And maybe you might think I'm just a plate. Maybe you're a really good plate. Maybe you are a piece that's been made in the world to be a force, to make a statement. The point is each of us serves some sort of purpose. Each one of us has been formed with love. Each one of us has been picked up out of dirt and has had God's own breath poured into us to be different and beautiful. Something I love about the image of God picking up dirt and forming us and breathing into us is the fact that that makes us our own bodies holy ground. If we are dirt and clay picked up off the ground and made into something else, each one of our bodies then is holy ground. It's a beloved place. It's something God's hands have been on. And that makes us from the very beginning really good. And each one of us is not done. We've yet to be put in the kiln, put through the fire. We're all still being loved on. Still being molded and smoothed out and pulled and shaped and checked for air bubbles. We are not done yet. And praise God for that. Amen.